Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, if you got a Bible. So we're in a series right now entitled Next Steps, and uh, the idea of a next step is that you've already taken some previous steps, and so the previous steps were the doctrinal foundation of the church that we laid out over the summer. And so now that we've laid out the doctrinal foundation, now we can talk about from that foundation, here is how we step. Last week, we went over the first step. The first step was prayer and fasting. And last Sunday, we called our church to 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you missed the first seven days, that's fine. You have 14 left. And this is prayer and some fasting. We're not fasting the entire 21 days. A lot of us fasted for 48 hours, and then we concluded that with a really fun night on Friday night that was just an absolute blast, and we worshiped together. And then many of us ate together afterwards. And so it was 21 days of prayer and some fasting, and we're going to continue that on now. We got 14 days left. That was step number one. Now, in any corporate proactive fast in the scriptures, they always pray and fast for very specific reasons. It's never like a vague thing. And so here is our very specific reason. Let me read it to you. God, may we be bold in our stand for truth, forged together as church friends and family, increasing in biblical knowledge, effective in training the next generation and in reaching our city. Lord, bring revival. Is there this statement? All of these things. We want to be bold for truth. And the second line was we want to be forged together as church friends and family. And so today what I want to talk about are church friends. Church friends. What are church friends? Church friends are spiritual relationships that help us grow in Christ by supporting us through difficult times, holding us accountable, serving the church and others, and enjoying life together. That's a church friend. Today we're going to talk about church friends. We're going to talk about church friends from two texts. Ezra, which you have already um, heard read this morning by Anthony, who has a much cooler voice than I do, and then also Acts which you have not heard, so I'll read it to you now. Acts chapter 13, starting, well, actually, I'm going to read verse 25 of 12, and then I'll read 13, just so you can see the text here. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right. Two passages this morning that are going to teach us five principles about church friends. Now, in these types of sermons, when we teach on the five principles, these are things that um, I, I want not just to be like, okay, I got to remember these five things, right? No, these are five things that I want to be true always that will come back to that are true always of how we operate in church friendships uh, here at Redemption. Five things that we're going to look at. Now, the very term church friends, right, has an adjective, right, describing the type of friend. You're like, ah, eh, it's a church friend. Like, eh, they're not a real friend, they're a church friend. Right, well, it's a work friend, right? Like, I like them at lunch, but, you know, not on Friday, right? Whatever friend, it's a school friend, it's a college friend, is it? Right? What I want to do today is move church friends away from like it being a church being the descriptor of the friend 
and get a really good picture of how a church friend becomes a friend who becomes a family. Because many of us, that's what we've experienced here at Redemption. And that's what I want everyone to experience at our church. That these church friends, and that's why it says in the statement that you'd be forged together as friends and family. I also put that in there because some of you are like, I like my friends more than my family. <laughs> or my family are my friends. And so we're just going to try to get the best of both in there. But here's what's also true, right? Even as we put church friends and family, we know we'll get the best of both. You also get what? Because we're human. The worst of both. And that's just the way human relationships are. And so it's important that we then talk about these things so that we know how to operate as church friends and family. What that looks like here at our church. And so we'll start in the Ezra passage because it's going to kind of tee us up here. And then after that, I'll hop over to Acts a little bit and we'll work through it. Let me start with the first line in verse 19. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. If I hop over to 21, it would say, it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. There was a joining and a separating in the people. They were joining something and they were separating themselves from something else. And what they were doing in that, they were rallying around who was it that ate it or what did they eat? They ate the Passover. Now, the Passover was an ancient feast and it's an important Passover because the Passover hasn't been celebrated in a while because they were in Babylon as captives and had now just returned. And so this is uh, the assumption, the first Passover that's been kept in, uh, in Jerusalem and Israel for a very long time. What are they doing? They're centering themselves back around what is most important. See, in the Old Testament, the Passover points us to the cross. In the cross, the celebration of the Passover gets replaced, uh, or, or you could kind of say replaced or added onto it is communion, a, a different type of celebration that comes off of Passover at the moment of the cross. Now, what was Passover and what was communion about? Both pointing us to Jesus. The first thing we learn here is this, that church friends mutually pursue Christ. Church friends mutually pursue Christ. Church friends don't mutually exist in the same church. Church friends aren't uh, mutually pursuing the ends of the same entity or organization, i.e. a church. No, church friends mutually are pursuing Jesus. It's actually sometimes easier to get excited about church friends who are mutually pursuing like the church, but not actually mutually pursuing Jesus. Church friends mutually pursue Christ. And how do they do this? They do this through a joining and a separation. Now, let me be careful when we talk about the separation. There is a specific reason that it is laid out that particular way in Ezra when we understand that now through a new covenant context in the New Testament, that we are not called as Christians to completely separate ourselves from the world. We're not called to create an isolated little enclave where we never have to deal with all of those bad people out in the world. But there is an element as Christians where we separate ourselves from the sins of the world from the things of the world, and we step into then or we join into the context of the church. 
We separate ourselves from individualism. We separate ourselves from the entities or the other spheres of life that could be our chief influence, and we separate ourselves from that, and we join into the church. And so this joining and separating, then, is supposed to revolve around one thing, Jesus. Jesus. Mutually pursuing Christ. Now, the deeper these church friends get, the deeper this gets. Sometimes church friends are, you know, just the casual acquaintance that you see on Sunday morning, and so you're mutually pursuing Christ because you, you both made it this morning. Good work. And sometimes that is taking another step where you actually begin to talk about the Bible together. But then as church friends begin to grow, it actually moves into a place like we described in our definition, holding each other accountable. We're lifting each other up in prayer, exposing any type of uh, vulnerability inside and being willing to share that with someone else. In James, he writes it like this, confessing your sins one to another and praying for each other. Not because we have to confess to a human for God to forgive us, because there's actually like a healing process that takes place in that confession or in that release of vulnerability or error. And then somebody else is... um, trustworthy, faithful response and prayer over us is actually a way that God chooses to heal us. This is like church friends getting to its climax almost when we get to that point. And church friends and the development of this is oftentimes it it takes time. There's a certain level of patience that, that has to come in. And sometimes you can walk into a new church like many of you had and you're like, no one was my friend. I was like, well, did you say hi to anyone? Did you realize that it might take some time? That Sunday morning isn't always the greatest facilitation of the best friendships? Now, of course, we want to be friendly. I hope we're friendly. We try to be friendly. We should all be friendly. Be friendly. But this process takes a little bit of time. Oh, but it's so worth it. And church friends mutually pursue Jesus together. And they, sometimes they do it that way. And in Acts, it was showing that the, the church friends pursue Jesus together by worshiping together. That's why I made that comment on Friday night for some of you who were there. Like, like some of you are like, I can't believe I'm at church on a Friday night. Like, I would have never done this. But, but now, and, and, and you're like, and I'm enjoying it. And I didn't eat for 48 hours beforehand. Like, what is happening in my life? God's moving. And then church friends get together and, They worship together. And I hope that every Sunday for all of us, for all of us, and those of you who are new, like first time here, like welcome to the party, right? Like whenever we get done praying in there with the band and everything else like that, I don't say, okay, let's go out there and put a professional experience together or a solemn experience that makes people feel like they made it to church today. I say, let's party. Like, let's go have some fun with church friends. I hope that every time you show up on Sunday morning that you're knowing, I'm going to go, I'm going to go party with my church friends. And our party looks a little different than maybe some of those other parties that you go to or went to or whatever. But I hope it's the same thing or same party-like environment, same experience of, I'm looking forward to this. I am looking forward to this. It's Sunday. I can't wait for Sunday. Like sometimes I'm over there singing and I'm like, I only get to do this once a week. 
I know some of you think that Lindsay just sings at home all the time. Nope. Okay. I sing at home all the time. And then Lindsay says, nope. Let's party. You know? Let's have some fun. Next week, somebody bring a flask of coffee. It's kind of funny because we don't serve coffee around here if you're new, okay? That was the joke. All right. We're pursuing Jesus together. Number two. In Ezra... They're feasting. In Acts, they're fasting. Church friends both feast and fast together. Or said another way, church friends both celebrate and mourn together. They do both. Church friends feast together. And I know some of you are like, Stephen, you called this to a 48-hour fast. When is the 48-hour feast? Because I'm excited about that week. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm just kidding. I don't have a plan. But I do think a 48-hour feast would be fun and exceptionally biblical, okay? So someday we're going to have a 48-hour feast. No one's allowed to leave. You're sleeping in a tent. We're going to use the baptismal as the shower. And the Spirit of God is going to move, okay? We're going to feast. It's a 48-hour feast, okay? That is seriously as biblical as a fast, because church friends feast and fast together. And church friends know when it's time to fast. They, they know when it's time to fast and to say, man, God, we want to see a move. And, and we're, we're praying that something would happen. And, and God, do you want to know how desperate we are to see a move? We won't eat for 48 hours. Not because it's some kind of magic potion, but just because we want to show you the level of sacrifice and Commitment we have to something. Lord, bring revival. I'll fast for it. And then sometimes it becomes personal because we got church friends and they're going through something or they're praying for something to happen. They need to see something happen. And we say, man, I love you so much. I want to fast with you. And so you just rally around. It doesn't always have to be fasting. Sometimes it's just simply mourning. We're just rallying around in the low time. So I'll, I'll walk with you in that. And the church friends also feast together. Church friends feast together because they celebrate the joys of life and because when we're rooted in the ideals of Scripture, like not being jealous and caring about one another, then we can look at each other's victories in life and celebrate them and say, that's so good, we should go eat. You graduated. No one thought you were going to. Let's eat. Oh, man, you're... You're pregnant, and I know you've been praying about it. We fasted. We fasted so you would, and now we're feasting because you are. Right? And so Christians know how to celebrate together. They know how to feast together. They know how to get around and just say, this is awesome. And oftentimes, it is actually kind of that, like, we fast, and then we see God move, so we feast. And then we get done feasting, and we're like, okay, God, you've done all of this. And then another time comes around and say, oh, it's time to fast. And what church friendship looks like is fast and feast, fast and feast, fast and feast. Walking through every season of life, celebrating together. And church friends know how to do both.
Number three. Uh, let me read. Well, let me read the Acts passage real quick because it points it out pretty well. Last line of 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay? So Paul and Barnabas show up, and they have just got done with their service. And then they pray for them and fast them, uh, fast for them, and then they send them off. Church friends work and serve together. Church friends are on mission together. Church friends are excited about the gospel together. Church friends are coming up alongside each other, and they're saying, we're accomplishing something together. I come in here on Saturday mornings um, to practice my sermon sometimes on stage, and when I get here, the cleaning team is often here. And you would think that they're like a comedy club. I mean, the way they're like laughing with each other as they're cleaning the building. Why? Because they're church friends. And there's something about like serving and, and doing alone, but it is completely different when you're stepping in and you're then serving alongside each other. And church friends serve and work and are on mission together. And that's part of the joy of the Christian life. There's a passage where Paul says, I was down and then Titus showed up and I was excited. God knew Paul needed something. And so what did he do? He sent him a friend. And Titus came in and he encouraged Paul and he kept him going. If I look at one of you or some of you and I'm like, hey, we need some extra help in the nursery. You'd be like, not me. Like, why don't you bring your best friend with you? Why don't you go make a church friend and bring them with you? And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, maybe. Or maybe it's not the nursery. Maybe it is cleaning. Maybe it is serving in youth ministry on, on Wednesday night. Or serving back with the elementary kids or, or whatever else it might be. You look at it from one perspective, and you're like, all right, doing that by myself. Like, I'm not going to know anybody. And then it's like, well, what if I bring somebody with me? I mean, girls, if you bring a friend with you to the bathroom, you can bring a friend with you to nursery, right? And, it, and it's when those, those church friendships begin to emerge, or you bring the existing ones into that, it just, it, it's not only good for you. It, like, breathes a whole life. In, in, into even the ministry or the area. I mean, isn't there a lot of things that we look out at life and we're like, I don't know about that, but I do know about that if I'm with friends. And the same is true. Church friends come alongside each other and say, man, we are accomplishing something together. Let's do this together. Let's serve together. Let's paint the building together. Let's hold some babies together. That's what church friends do. Fourth, church friends, well, actually, let me, I'll read the statement, then I'll read two texts. Church friends are not always the ones you'd expect. Church friends are not always the ones you'd expect. Let's read the Ezra passage first. I'll give you one point, and then I'll give you another one. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separate. Five different groups of people. Maybe four, depending on how you read it. Four or five different groups of people. Now, all these people, assumption is, were Jewish. 
They represented different classes. They represented different occupations. Later on in the text, it tells us that they represent different ages. And so here you have all of the Jewish people, but you have all the different types of Jewish people. In the same way that we would look at like all the different types of, you know, you got old and you got young and, you know, here we got Baptists and we got Methodists and you, you, you got country people and, and, and rural people and those are the same, and suburban people and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, like there's, there's some like, like diversity in that, right? They're all, they're all Jewish, but, but all different, you know, and as a church, uh, as a church, we, we've, we've talked about this pretty frequently. Uh, coming out of COVID, we had done like a pretty, uh, not intense study, but like a, a good understanding of the makeup of our church, the breakdown of it from an age perspective. And we, we broke all of the adults in our church who were like consistent attenders into four groups, 18 to 27, 28 to 40, 40 to 55, and 55 and over. Four different groups, and we put them in a pie chart. And out of those four pie charts, the lowest of the pie charts was 23.6%, and the highest was 26.4%. Now, some of you don't understand math, so let me tell you, that means they were all basically the same. Okay. And you know how we did that? We had meeting after meeting after meeting where we sat down and we said, how do we become a multi-generational church? And what do we need to do and what practices do we need to implement to make sure that we are a multi-generational church? Just kidding. We never did that once. Not once. You know why? Because if we would have done that, we would have ended up creating some kind of fiasco. Like, first Sunday of the month is hymn week. Second Sunday of the month is 1990s music because some of y'all are stuck there, right? Some of y'all are like, proud of it. All right? God of wonders beyond our galaxy. Okay. I got more where that came from. No, we didn't have a single meeting about being a multi-generational church. Not one. Not one. Instead, we just said, this is who we are as a church. Matthew plays the drums loud. He does. He's good at it, though. Man, is he good at it. And we have a few lights on stage. A couple things. And this is who we are. And we're just going to be who we are. And you know what God did? He made us multi-generational. And if somebody were to ask me, Stephen, how do you become a multi-generational church? I would say, well, I don't know. Because <laughs> I didn't do anything to create it. God did. And it's awesome, isn't it? It's beautiful. I love it. People are like, you guys are like a young, cool church. I'm like, no, we're way older than you would think. Way older. Just come in, look at a picture on Facebook. And we're not cool. And I love it. I love it. Now, in biblical community, if, let me say it this way. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. If biblical community has not compelled you yet to engage in relationship with somebody that you would never normally engage in relationship with. You haven't yet understood biblical community. Part of the joy of biblical community is when you find yourself in that biblical community, in that church friend community, right? You look around and you go, I, how, how am I friends with this person? 
Like, we wouldn't have been friends in high school. We wouldn't have been friends in college. Like, if that was my doormate in college, I would have opted out, right? But now we're friends. The beauty of gospel community when it is centered around Jesus is that it draws us in, and it's never who you'd quite expect. And that's actually a sign that it is biblical community. And God forms us together in that way. Now, I want to bring up the Acts passage because it's similar but different. In the Acts passage, let me read some names again. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, and Menean, and Saul. We have Barnabas, who we would expect is Jewish. We have Saul, who is a Roman citizen and of a high esteemed class. We have Simeon, who's from Niger, Africa. Lucius, who's also believed to be from Africa. And Menean, who's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who is like the arch enemy of the, in the Bible. He's like the bad guy, other than Satan, right? Like Herod. Herod. And he's like, oh yeah, he was like my best friend growing up. Okay? So here now, we see a different type of diversity. It's not an age one. It's not a denominational one. And this one, it's very clearly a racial one in the church. And we never really talked about this as a church before. Like, we don't, we don't bring it up very often. I don't bring it up very often. But I think there's been some challenge on me reading Scripture, um, on, on some things that God has done that has made it to the point where we at least got to say, well, God, if you did it from an age perspective, maybe you could do it from a race perspective. And maybe we should at least just start bringing it up and asking what you want to do. And if, God say, and if somebody says, well, how do you build a multiracial church? You know what my answer is going to be? I don't know. In the same way, I don't know how to build a multigenerational one. I don't know. But you know who does? He does. And so what this doesn't mean is, is anything like the other kind, Right? Like, like, it doesn't mean, like, change who you are. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, do, do something different. It doesn't mean all of this stuff. It just means, God, if you can do something, then do something. And at least maybe we should just bring it up and say it. Because we see it right here in the book of Acts. And we see it all throughout the church. And if we're going to sing God bring revival, well, that's got to involve all God's people, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And so today's not like a, and this is what we're going to do. It's just a, God, wouldn't it be incredible if you did that in Monclova? And wouldn't we all celebrate it when he does and ask him that he would? We see this in the scriptures too. And church community, and especially moves of God, are never what you would expect. And so here we are. We just open ourselves up. We say, God, you do what you want to do. Number five. So in the text here, we have Barnabas and Saul and Mark. Now, for a lot of you, you read Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark, and you're like, that doesn't really mean that much to you because they're all friends right here. Well, you flip like two chapters, and guess what? They're not friends anymore. I mean, they're not not friends. They're just not together. 
Okay, Paul goes this way, Barnabas goes this way. Paul says, I don't want to bring John Mark. Barnabas says, we should bring John Mark. And then Barnabas goes this way and he brings John Mark with him. And then later, you know what happens? Paul goes, you know what? I kind of like John, well, I don't know if I like him, but he's really good at what he does. So why don't you go get him back? What's interesting is that Barnabas is the one who stands up for John Mark. But you know what happened before this story? Barnabas stood up for Paul. This is why oftentimes Barnabas is referred to as the encourager. Let me give you my fifth point. My fifth point is this, that church friends fight for each other. Now, I understand the sovereignty of God, and I understand what God can do, but God often uses people to do what God wants to do. And from a practical perspective, you could say that there is no Paul and his ministry apart from Barnabas. See, Paul is this radical conversion. And often, like it is in even the modern church, when you see somebody claiming a redemption moment, claiming a story, people go, I don't know if I believe that. Like, he was killing Christians. Or like, did you see what they used to post on Facebook? Have you heard about how they used to live? Have you seen what is in their past? And this was the situation that Paul found himself in. And in the middle of Paul finding himself in where people are saying, I don't believe in his ministry. I don't believe in him. I don't think he should be doing this. I don't think that we should let him in our circle. When everyone is saying that, Barnabas steps up and says, y'all are wrong. We should get behind this guy. I believe in what God is doing in his life. I believe in the ministry calling that is on this person. I believe that the redemption is true. I believe that the repentance is deep and we should embrace instead of reject. And that's exactly what Barnabas did for Paul. And because of that, we know the rest of the story. Church Friends fight for each other. They stand up for each other. They defend each other's reputation. They defend each other's callings. Doesn't mean we don't call to repentance. Doesn't mean there's not real conversations, but church friends rally around. And I would much rather be the church that takes the risk on a Paul than the Pharisees who put him out on the street. So we'll err on that side every time. Church friends fight for each other. And the last part of who we want to be as a church is we fight for each other. We fight for each other in the low moments. We fight for each other in the tough moments. We fight for each other in the moments of failure. We fight for each other when we can see failure right on the brink and we come around and we say, we're not going to let the enemy do this or we're not going to let you fall into this. We're going to fight with you. And there is a progression in all of this. And at the end of all of this, after you have 
right? These, these people, you're centered around Jesus and you celebrate together and you take some of the morning together and then you work alongside each other and you serve along to, uh, together and you're on mission together. And sometimes the circle looks unlike you would expect because you're like, I don't know why you're here. We would have never gotten along and I don't know why you're here. You're different than me, but we're here. And then the, the, the climax that says, and I'm committed to you and I will fight with you and I will fight for you. And I'll walk with you no matter what life throws at you. And that's when church friends move from church friends to friends and from friends to family. And it becomes so deeper. I don't think anything you can find anywhere else because the bond is so much stronger you're both drawn into Christ. And the closer you're drawn into Christ, the deeper the bond gets. And so when we're praying and fasting that we would be forged together as church friends and family, this, this, this is what I mean. This is what I want for you. Let me end with a few statements. You will never accomplish all God has called you to accomplish apart from church friends. You will never accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish apart from church friends. You won't. Because God has specifically set up the system for you to be connected into a body of people who will help propel you to heights you never thought you'd get to. Number two. You will never be the person God is calling you to be apart from church friends because God will use the church friends in your sanctification process. He will use them to help you see your blind spots. He will use them that when you want to quit to not, when you don't want to persevere anymore to keep going, when you think the battle's too hard that they hold your hands up, You will never be. And so let me just follow that through. You will never be the father you are called to be. You will never be the mother you are called to be. You will never be the employee, the boss that you are called to be apart from church friends. Number three, you can face the morning and the celebration, the highs and the lows by yourself or with your church friends, and it will always, always be better with them. I would imagine that most of us can look at some of the lowest moments in life and will measure even the lowest moments by who did I have around me in it? And the ones where we were alone are drastically different than the ones when we walk with others. And then others of us, we've had great moments of celebration, great moments of victory. And then we looked around and we said, I don't even have anyone to celebrate it with. I'll let that not be so here. 
church friends that become friends, that become family. That's what church's community is supposed to be about. And it'll be hard. We will get mad at each other. It will take forgiveness. It will take humility. It will take swallowing your pride. But when you fight through it, when you fight through it, you got people who will fight with you. Tom and Frank, stand up real quick. This church does not exist. Actually, Joe, stand up too. This church does not exist apart from these three church friends. 100% does not exist right now. And any good that has come in my life in the last five years, I'll say a lot of it, is from three church friends. Two of them are old. You're welcome, Tom. <laughs> Let me tell you, the right church friends at the right time changes everything, everything. And I want everyone in this church, everyone in this church to have friends like this. And so we gotta work hard to make it happen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, guys. All right. Got to stop crying in front of people. All right. If any of you met my dad, he cries all the time. All right, I got it from him. Who, by the way, is the fourth church friend. That is why we're here. How are we going to do this? Number one, Wednesday nights. Starting on the 15th of September, we're going to have Wednesday night service. It's just a teaching. I'll be doing the teaching. And I want us to build community around this. And so you can use this building. That's why we have it. It ain't ours. It's all of ours. And so there's classrooms that you can eat in. There's a kitchen that you can use. So come on, make some dinner, bring some friends, sit around and get to know each other. You got a parking lot. We got a grill. Do whatever you want to do. It's your church. It's your building. It's your stuff. Okay? Just clean it up when you're done. 
And so let's use Wednesday nights as a time to form church community. Cool? And you don't even have to teach. I'll do it, right? Life groups. Let me tell you about life groups. We almost got rid of the term life groups just because there's such a connotation to it now. It's like, it's been around for 20 years. You're like, hey, you wanna be in my life group? You're like, I don't know if I wanna sit around and have awkward conversations over cucumber water, right? So let me just say it this way. Some life groups are amazing, right? Because you guys step in, you bring the Holy Spirit down, and it's like, whoa, right? Other groups, you work through it because it takes time. Let me just say it this way. If you ain't looking forward to it, you're not doing it right, okay? If you're not looking forward to it, you're not doing it right, okay? So set it up in such a way that you're looking forward to it. Eat something awesome. Pray together. If you're not going to get into a good conversation with just the guys or just the or with the guys and the girls in the same place, then just split up and dudes go outside and the girls stay inside or whatever. Just do it in such a way that you're looking forward to it. You get a daily dig every morning. Just pick that up and read it if you need some help in propelling conversation. Or just pray together. Or somebody just be bold and be like, man, you know what? I'm messed up in this area right now. I need some help. Because then all of a sudden the conversation just got real. We went into COVID. We had four life groups because we had about 150, 175 adults. Came out of COVID and now we have 400 adults. Guess what? Four life groups does not serve 400 adults very well. We need 10 more. We need 10 more. Okay? Which means I need 10 of you guys to step up. Couples, individuals, whatever. To step up and lead some life groups. And so, please let me know. Actually, don't let me know. I don't want to know. Let Steve know or let Jamie know. All right? Where's Jamie? Jamie, stand up. There we go. There's Jamie. She's our church friend coordinator, okay? It's not actually her title. We just give her a new one every week. Her first one was pastor of pain, all right? I don't remember where that one came from, but... Um, talk to Jamie. Her job is to help all of us get connected around here, okay? And church friends. We need 10 life group leaders. Bible studies, another way to do it. Um, if, you want, if, you're, if you're a dude, talk to Steve. Okay, if you're a lady, right now, our best option is Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I'd love to have an evening option, so somebody let me know when they want to start that. And we'll, we'll, we'll make sure there's kid care there if we need to. Okay, Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., all the ladies. Okay, Nancy must be the funniest person in the world, okay? Because I like sit there and listen in on there, and they're just laughing all the time. And so uh, Nancy leads it, Frank's wife, every Tuesday at nine, ladies, just get here. And, um, and by the way, if, like, if there's enough of you with kids who want to come, like, we'll pay for a babysitter, all right? I don't ever want that to stop us from making friends. And so, um, you know, if, if we get enough people with kids going, we'll, we'll figure the babysitting thing out, all right? Um, so that's Tuesday. Are you guys meeting this Tuesday? I don't want to say this and then, yeah, okay, all right, good. They're meeting this Tuesday, good. All right, that's all I got. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Thank you for sending us the best of all friends in Christ who 
who always fought for us, who welcomed us in when we had no right to sit at his table, who puts us on mission with him. What a good friend we have in Jesus. Help us to be those kind of friends to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.